Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. And a good Tuesday morning to you. It is Tuesday, August 22nd on the Queenship of Mary, another beautiful Marian feast day. If you recall, a few weeks ago, we did have Father, the amazing Father Mitch Paco on talking about the different feast days in the Catholic Church during the month of August. It's a very Marian month, as it should be. Every day should be Marian, our Blessed Mother, of course. So EWTN, if you're on their email list, which is super cool, and they have great information and talk about the feast. And this quote from Scripture at the top of this email is from Revelation 12:1. And a great portent appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Today is the feast of the Queenship of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The Church celebrates the Queenship of Mary because her divine Son is King. Amen. Pope Pius XII, having declared the dogma of the assumption that the Immaculate Mother of God was assumed body and soul into heavenly glory, then established a feast day of her queenship to be on the octave, eighth day after the solemnity of the assumption. Now, EWTN also has a special page to, dedicated to the feast of the Queenship of Mary. So, Holy Mary, Mother of God, Queen, Mother, pray for us. Okay, we have a busy show this morning, much to discuss and a ton of news to get through as well. Of course, we always do, never a dull moment, right? So first up, after the break, this is going to be, I think, inspiring, educational, informative, and a lot of fun. We have the amazing Father Dwight Longenecker on with us. He's an author, he's a columnist, a podcaster, a blogger, and his latest book from Ignatius, There and Back Again, A Somewhat Religious Odyssey. So it has great endorsement from, for example, the amazing Marcus Grodi and Joseph Pierce, our own Johnette Williams, is, has endorsed this book. And it's his story, which is so interesting in terms of, it's kind of a the great title there and back again, and he'll explain when he comes on at 15 minutes past the hour. But it's receiving rave reviews, and again, hot off the presses, or about to be from Ignatius Press, and we'll discuss with the good Padre after the break. And then we will be speaking with Grace Emily Stark once again, this beautiful website, naturalwomanhood.org, has such great information on the dignity of women and the natural process of our bodies. The more we can learn about how amazingly we were created, the better off we can be spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And received an interesting email from Grace Emily regarding this time of year and young women. And she's reaching out to parents, responding and how to respond to the pressure they might be feeling from your child's doctor during back-to-school checkups, and she says this is happening especially for middle school, high school, and college-bound kids about getting on birth control. Always the answer, right? Oh, put them on birth control for everything. So how do we respond? Grace Emily has some great advice, and again, the website is naturalwomanhood.org. So that is our show for this morning on a busy Tuesday. Weather-wise, we move from Hillary to Harold. Harold forecast to arrive in South Texas, along with the big problem of heat impacting millions of people around the country. The National Weather Service saying this morning, Tropical Storm Harold is forecast to arrive into South Texas by midday today. 
expected to produce heavy rain, flash and urban flooding, tropical storm conditions, coastal flooding, and several tornadoes. Meanwhile, millions are being impacted by the sweltering heat and oppressive conditions in the plains, the south and Mississippi, Ohio, and the Tennessee valleys. We'll have more on Hillary and the what's happening there in terms of the remnants of that storm and also this new storm they're watching, Tropical Storm Herald. So it is, let's see, four minutes past the hour now on Tuesday, August 22nd, the Queenship of Mary. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And let's get started with the news on a Tuesday. Church leaders are pleading with Israeli government officials to take anti-Christian attacks more seriously. Officials say the recent incident of teens and young men spitting on nuns and priests in the old city of Jerusalem has now motivated other attacks. The International Christian Embassy, Jerusalem VP, says religious extremist groups are becoming more bold with their hate because they believe their government has their backs. Officials say they're hopeful, though, the government will take more initiative moving forward. Cardinal Dolan, the Archbishop of New York, celebrating Mass at St. Pat's Cathedral in Northern Ireland later this week to commemorate 150 years of its dedication, which took place on August 24, 1873. For the special occasion, the Cardinal, based at St. Pat's in New York, will be the main celebrant and preacher at the Mass of Thanksgiving this weekend on Sunday in Ireland. The Archdiocese is announcing that all are welcome to attend the Mass. That will be a celebration to give praise and thanks to God for the faith expressed within the cathedral. The Archdiocese there in Northern Ireland says this week from Thursday to Sunday, they'll be celebrating this historical event. Cleanup efforts continue in Southern California after tropical storm Hillary blew through. Just east of L.A., Vicki Jelly Ross says her house was just missed by a mudslide. I've been here 18 years. I have never been through anything like this. Last year was hard. This year is really tough. So now I wonder what the heck's going to happen, you know, next. So hopefully... We don't have this much weather and we can all get back on our feet. In Los Angeles, hundreds of trees that were downed in the storm Sunday and early Monday remain on the ground and need to be cleared. The rain tapering off yesterday in the L.A. area, allowing utility crews to work quickly to bring the power back on for many. Schools in L.A. are resuming normal operations today after being closed yesterday out of an abundance of caution over the storm. And remnants of Tropical Storm Hillary are now moving into Nevada after leaving millions of California residents, as you just heard, under flood warnings and other issues. The first tropical storm to hit Southern California in over 80 years again has started to dissipate after smacking the area with record rainfall. Parts of the country are entering a potentially brutal heat wave as temps are forecast to soar. Meteorologist Michelle Grossman reports heat warnings and advisories are in place across 18 states. We're looking at 100 million people in uh, the country under a heat alert, whether it's a heat warning, a heat watch from southern Texas all the way to the northern plains, the Midwest, into the southeast, also the Ohio Valley. So, so many of us under this sweltering heat. The National Weather Service warns that the temperatures could potentially be deadly without adequate cooling or hydration. The National Hurricane Center in Miami updating active storms this morning. Tropical Storm Harold is a threat now today to Texas. Warnings are in place for that region. The storm is packing 45-mile-per-hour winds this morning, but is expected to strengthen a bit, whipping stronger winds and then also causing heavy downpours. Gert, meanwhile, continues to dissipate as barely a tropical cyclone. And Tropical Storm Franklin, they say, is poorly organized and drifting toward the Dominican Republic with maximum sustained winds close to 50 miles an hour. 
President Biden says the people of Maui will have everything they need to recover after the deadly wildfires. While touring the town of Lahaina yesterday, he met with families of victims and thanked the first responders. Officials say 850 people are still missing as search and rescue efforts continue. So far, 114 people have been confirmed dead. Meanwhile, a group of several dozen residents of scorched western Maui heckled the president's motorcade shortly after noon local time yesterday as it left the tiny local airport en route to the hardest-hit areas of Lahaina, which was destroyed back on August 8th. According to the Daily Signal News website, Go Home Joe, among the chants shouted by locals as Biden passed by, moments before the president read a scripted speech touting the federal response. Now, the 80-year-old commander-in-chief has taken intense criticism, the Daily Signal says, including from fellow Democrats, for appearing aloof following the deadliest U.S. wildfires in more than a century. And yesterday, he compared the horrific fires in Maui to a kitchen fire in his house, during which he almost lost his 67 Corvette and his cat. The White House has not yet issued a statement correcting, apologizing for, or providing additional context for the president's latest comments. And again, officials say 850 people are still missing as search and rescue efforts continue. 114 people have been confirmed dead. House Republicans are issuing subpoenas for four IRS and FBI officials as part of the investigation into alleged DOJ interference in the Hunter Biden tax case, as Brian Shook tells us. Republicans say they believe the agents have information on a meeting last year attended by special counsel David Weiss, the lead prosecutor in Hunter Biden's case, and want them to answer questions before Congress. IRS whistleblowers earlier this year told lawmakers Weiss said he was not the deciding authority on whether to charge Hunter, which Weiss later denied. Republicans accused the Justice Department of slow walking and interfering in the case against the president's son. The Texas border with Mexico playing host to a handful of GOP governors yesterday who were touting or touring one of the hot spots for illegal immigration. The delegation was led by Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Half of the states of the United States of America are banding together to step up and secure a border that President Biden has abandoned. Iowa's Governor Kim Reynolds says the fentanyl that's flowing across the border is having a huge impact on her state since 2020. Drug-related deaths have increased by 35%. And Nebraska's governor is praising the so-called floating border wall during the tour. He says that criticism of that border is hogwash. Florida's attorney general says the danger of fentanyl, meanwhile, is expanding to include children and teens. On National Fentanyl Prevention Awareness Day yesterday, Ashley Moody went to the parts of the state suffering the most fentanyl fatalities, including Pinellas and Pasco counties. This area is nearly 100 deaths higher than the next hardest hit area in Jacksonville. Moody says fentanyl is in six out of 10 counterfeit pills seized by police and adds that fentanyl deaths are growing fastest among children under the age of 14. Sarah Lee Kessler tells us a Rutgers University study finds that exposure to the common cold may boost COVID-19 immunity. The common cold and COVID-19 are both coronaviruses, and Rutgers researchers say people who've been exposed to the cold type may also build up pre-existing immunity to its genetic cousin. The scientists working with researchers at a Nigerian teaching hospital collected data on individuals both before and after they got COVID shots, and they found that in 83% with common cold exposure, their T-cells reacted to COVID-19. They think that could one day lead to a vaccine to protect against future variants. 
Workers across the U.S. want more flexibility with their jobs and are apparently willing to sacrifice to achieve that. Bankrate senior economic analyst Mark Hamrick says employers have a challenge ahead of them. Nearly nine out of ten workers, those who are either working or looking for full-time work, support a four-day work week. Hamrick says the data from a recent bank rate survey shows that workers are willing uh, to change job, willing to change jobs that even take lower pay if it means they can work four days a week. He says folks learned during the pandemic that they can get as much done at home or in a hybrid work situation as they can in the office. But many in the survey said they would be willing to go into the office more often if it meant a shorter work week. And Mark Mayfield tells us that more than 3,000 theaters across the country offering discounted tickets this Sunday. In honor of National Cinema Day, all movies in all formats will cost less than $4. That even includes Oppenheimer in IMAX if showtimes aren't already sold out. This marks the second annual National Cinema Day hosted by the Cinema Foundation. Last year's event was the most attended day at the movies in 2022. And the singer-songwriter behind the viral hit Rich Men North of Richmond is making Billboard chart history. Oliver Anthony's song has debuted at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 charts. He's the first artist to earn the top spot with no prior chart history in any form. A video of him performing the song wrapping up 30 million views on YouTube. The song was streamed 17 and a half million times, selling 147,000 downloads during the week ending August 17th. Richmond has been praised by conservatives and criticized by the left. And finally, in our news link, or actually our newscast, news links are something I do outside of the show. Oh, always thinking ahead. Uh, 13 minutes past the hour. So I don't know how many of you have noticed this, but I was glad to see this story getting to the bottom of this. Isn't it like every time you go shopping and there's seasonal things out, you're in the middle of summer, let's say, or even earlier after Memorial Day, you know, you see all the beautiful Fourth of July decorations. And then as you get closer to the beginning of July, let's say toward the middle of June, all the 4th of July stuff is almost gone, and then they bring in the Halloween decorations. And now, I don't know about you, but in our area, in southeastern Michigan, we've seen the Christmas decorations out for, I would say, a good month. You know, they have the whole Christmas in July thing, but now I think it's even earlier than that. Why is that? Well, Rebecca Hughes explains brick-and-mortar retailers used to wait for the sale of back-to-school items to die down, in this case, before bringing out the Halloween items, but obviously... Not anymore. Your kids are just going back to school. Labor Day weekend is still a week away, but Halloween is already creeping its way into stores. Nancy Hubbard, the dean of the College of Business at the University of Lynchburg, says online shopping continues to push brick-and-mortar retailers to do everything they can to try and get sales. Quote, and if that means we're putting Halloween stuff out in August, so be it. WSET reports the stores are targeting people that want to get organized and have everything ready early this year. Hubbard says do not be surprised if you see Christmas products in the stores by the middle of September. It is a Tuesday, the Queenship of Mary. We celebrate that today. Great information on this at EWTN.com and AveMariaRadio.net. So looking forward to our discussion up next with a wonderful teacher of the faith and pastor, Father Dwight Longenecker. He joins us from South Carolina. His new book, His Journey into the church there and back again a somewhat religious odyssey and then grace emily stark from natural womanhood the website is naturalwomanhood.org if you're being pressured as moms and dads to put your young girls on birth control resist and she'll explain how and she'll give you some great information but this is something that's happening more and more 
this time of year back to school time. Stay tuned. More Catholic Connection coming your way on a Tuesday. Really looking forward to this interview, as I know you are as well. Father Dwight Longenecker, a wonderful teacher of the faith, a pastor in Greenville, South Carolina, a convert to Catholicism, a very interesting journey indeed, which is what we're discussing this morning. His book, There and Back Again, A Somewhat Religious Odyssey, published by Ignatius Press. And I had the opportunity, as I mentioned uh, earlier in the program to my listeners, that I finally got the chance to meet a father when I was down in Greenville, visiting with my friends Doug and Mary Dudley, and speaking to the local Legatus chapter there. My friend Mary is, is a member of the parish there and brought me over to meet father. So it was a lot of fun and beautiful church to see, just gorgeous church. And he's doing so much to educate people in the faith and reach out to the community. So, Father, a lot of great endorsements for this book, including our very own Marcus Grodi and Jeanette and Joseph Pierce and, and so many others. Yours is, I mean, every every testimony, every journey is unique, but yours is, I would say, among the most unique I've, <laughs> I've heard about. So, first of all, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. All right. So, the title is, I think, a lot of fun. There and Back Again, A Somewhat Religious Odyssey. So, explain from where the title comes. Of course, um, listeners who are familiar with J.R. Tolkien and The Hobbit will realize that that is the title that Bilbo Baggins gave, gave to his, the story of his adventure, There and Back Again. So, uh, I, I like borrowing stuff from my favorite, favorite authors, and that seemed appropriate title because... I was brought up in America and um, attended college in Greenville, South Carolina, went to England, for t- stayed there for 25 years, and then came back again to be ordained as a Catholic priest. So there and back again. So what led you first on your journey across the pond? Start there. I, I'm sorry, could you repeat that, please? What, what led to your going over to England in the first place? Well, when I was at college at Bob Jones University, I came down with a serious illness called anglophilia. <laughs> the love of all things English. Uh, I've been reading English literature, and um, I was, we were able to attend a little Anglican church, a breakaway Anglican church. I say breakaway, breakaway from the Episcopal Church. And it was called the Anglican Orthodox Church. And uh, so I visited the, uh, Great Britain a couple of times and um, got the idea that it would be great to be an Anglican priest in England. Uh, so I got to, had this dream of being uh, a priest of a little country church in a beautiful little English village. You know, the sort of things you see on these um, British TV shows. Right, right. The, the ones where usually somebody's getting murdered every week. Um, and uh, so that was the dream, to go and, and be the uh, vicar, to be the parish priest of, in one of those beautiful old churches, a nice old village. A beautiful dream. And uh, so I set off for England, was accepted to study theology at Oxford, uh, and... Uh, that led step-by-step step to being ordained into the Church of England. We're talking with Father Dwight Loggenecker there, and back again, A Somewhat Religious Odyssey is the book we're discussing. Okay, so at what point did Catholicism start creeping into your thoughts and, and prayers? Well, it actually started quite early with when I was still a student at Bob Jones University. I went out and did yard work every Saturday for a local woman who was a very simply, simply devout Catholic, um, she was quite well-educated and, and cultured, but not in a fancy way. But she just accepted me, and we became friends. And uh, then when I went to England, my understanding of the Anglican faith was very much more on the Catholic side. I began to appreciate the sacraments and understand the priesthood. Uh, and within the Anglican Church, as most of us will know, 
you can actually actually do things in a fairly Catholic way and have a fairly Catholic understanding of the Church. And so I was moving in that dire- direction during my uh, theological education and then in my experience in the Anglican Church. And this was punctuated by various um, experiences, which I explain in the, sto- in, in the book, um, visiting a Catholic monastery, going on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem from England, staying in monasteries along the way, going to Medjugorje in the early 1980s, and various other things, which therefore led me closer and closer to the Catholic faith. Mm. So in terms of Mary, being that this is a queenship of Mary that we're celebrating today, how did you feel about Mary before you even were in the Anglican Church, since you did have some exposure to a very faithful Catholic woman? Did you have issues with Mary? Because I know for a lot of converts there are a lot of issues with the Marian dogmas. Yeah, um, and of course it was the same for me. I, I had inherited usual prejudices against the veneration of the Blessed Mother um, from my Protestant fundamentalist background, I can remember one time, for instance, reading a theological book about um, Mary by a German writer, and she and the writer called Mary Gottes Mutter, and I thought it was it meant I thought it meant Mother Goddess, and I said they're right. Catholics worship a Mother Goddess, and then someone said, No, you don't understand German. Gottes Mutter is actually the trans- translated as Mother of God. Mother so of God, then, right? Mm. And so that was explained to me, and the more I learned about the Marian dogmas was combined with someone giving me a rosary when they came back from the shrine of Our Lady of Walsingham in England, a visit to Medjugorje, like I said, and various other things which gradually opened up my heart uh, and my mind uh, to accept the acceptance of the Marian dogmas. You describing your your interest in in England and being in you know the country church. It just it sounds so idyllic and, and really it's something I I've always wanted to do. I've never been to to Great Britain. I've been to the airport at, in London Heathrow to get over to let's say a pilgrimage or another location. But that's on my bucket list to go and you know and to see all the beautiful countryside, the Cotswold cottages and everything. It just sounds so so peaceful and so you know as I said I, I you know it's something that you you dream of and you see on the you know the PBS shows and all these different specials that you mentioned. Was it hard to leave that? Absolutely. Um, I, I had gone to England with this dream of, you know, the English countryside and the beautiful old churches and the beauties of Anglicanism. And I discuss all of this in the book. I talk about the beauties of Anglicanism and the, the, where we finally ended up. And um, that came true. I was finally, a, a, at the end point, I was a vicar on the Isle of Wight in England mm. uh, with two beautiful old churches, a thousand-year-old churches. And so my dream had come true, uh, and by this time I was married with two young children, and so we had to make a very difficult decision. What was that like? It must have been hard for you. Of course it was, um, because at this point I was in my um, late 30s. Uh, I hadn't trained for any other career. We had to sort of change gears, find a new house, find a new job, support my family, um, and that began um, a difficult time. But it's something that when you feel it in your heart, when you're called to do that, you have to go in that direction, right? Yeah, and it was it was a step of uh, obedience, uh, but it was not an easy step. But at the same time, at this point, no regrets. The Lord has opened up doors of ministry and opened up ways uh, uh, to a deeper understanding of Him in the Catholic Church that I never would have had in the Anglican Church. Yeah, I think it's God always uses everything that we go through. Nothing is wasted. So when we return and continue our conversation, I'd like to talk to you about how you feel that experience from Protestant fundamentalism through the Church of England into the Catholic priesthood, 
how your background before you got to Catholicism helped prepare you for what you're doing today. Because it always does, no matter what we've been through. Romans 8.28, all things work together for good. More with Father Dwight Longenecker up next on a Tuesday morning edition of Catholic Connection, the book. There and back again, a somewhat religious odyssey from Ignatius Press. Welcome back, Catholic Connection. Great to catch up with Father Dwight Longenecker. His book, There and Back Again, A Somewhat Religious Odyssey. You can grab it from Ignatius Press or our religious catalog or the AveMariaRadio.net bookstore, all of the above. So, Father, I was saying going into our break just a few minutes ago that I love the way the Lord works in our life where we get into a situation where we feel like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm hitting my goals. I'm, I'm living the life. I'm living the dream. And then things start to change. And then we sometimes don't see why God took us, allowed us to go on a particular path because he never forces us to do anything. We have free will. Why he takes us on a particular path. And then we realize that it's being used for his glory when we thought all the time, well, we're all that in the bag of chips and we have what we want. But let's talk about your experience in England and also coming from fundamentalism, how do you think that helped prepare you as a Catholic pastor today? I think one of the things which we picked up from the Anglican Church was the importance of beauty in worship. The uh, Church of England retains all of the ancient medieval churches that were from, from, from before the Reformation, and the cathedrals and the abbey churches and so forth. And they do maintain a beautiful, a lot of them, in a lot of them they maintain a beautiful formal liturgy, they have a wonderful musical tradition, which goes right back into the Middle Ages and is rooted in the, in the Gregorian chant and the beautiful hymn, hymnody of the 19th century, 18th and 19th century. And so um, I brought a lot of those experiences and a lot of that um, knowledge and, into the worship in the Anglican Church. So um, in our new church in Greenville, South Carolina, for instance, and the last part of the book, I, I sort of bring all these threads together. Um, you know, we, have, we celebrate the Novus Ordo Mass, but in mm-hmm. a very traditional way. Um, and a lot of that is influenced by the liturgy which I would have celebrated in the Anglican Church. So it's not an Anglican liturgy, but it's the Novus Order of the Catholic Church, but celebrated with beautiful music, beautiful architecture, beautiful vestments, beautiful um, uh, music, and so forth. While you were uh, in, in England, did you come across St. Thomas More at all, or any of the other Catholic saints and martyrs from England? Uh, the Yeah, the Catholic saints, in England tend to be neglected by the Anglican Church because um, a good number of them are were, of course, um, victims of the Anglican persecutions. Uh, so the Anglicans aren't going to focus on that very much. But it was after I became a Catholic that I became much more informed about the, um, the Protestant, the English martyrs, um, you know, St. Margaret Clitheroe, St. Thomas More, mm-hmm. um, St. Edmund Campion, um, and so forth and so on. Also... Yeah. One of the other big gaps in the Anglican Church is that they don't recognize or are unaware of all of the Catholic saints that are post-Reformation. So they, they, they recognize and celebrate the saints who are pre-Reformation as some of their heritage and some, some of their patrimony. But, of course, all of the counter-Reformation saints of France, Italy, and Spain, and the rest of, and, and around the world, um, the, Catholics are pre- and the Anglicans are pretty much ignorant of. Wow. Do you have a favorite? Of the English saints, yourself, Catholic saints. Well, one of the one of the Catholic saints, of course, is Saint Therese of Lisieux. 
So um, I, I met her when I went on a pilgrimage, and I recount this pilgrimage in the book. I did a hitchhiking pilgrimage from England to Jerusalem, hitchhiking and staying in monasteries all across France and Italy and so forth. And um, so Therese of Lisieux would be known by the Anglicans, but not venerated. Uh, and so I met her and met, met some of the other more modern saints um, as I went on my way. And that was a great boost and a great sort of um, encouragement to me. When you say meet them, explain that to our listeners. What do you mean by you met them? I'm sorry, could you repeat that question? What do you mean when you say you met them? Explain that so people can understand, because there is that sense of meeting them when you walk in their footsteps, in their areas where they lived, where they died. What does it mean yeah. to you personally that well, you met I, them? I, I, yeah, I tell the story that I, I the first day, day of my step, sorry, the first stage of my pilgrimage was to go from England to northern France, and um, as I was traveling across Normandy, I was wondering where to stay that night, and I saw on the map Count Lisieux, and I said, oh, yeah, I think that's that St. Therese. I knew something of her, but not, I hadn't sort of encountered her, really. Um, and, in fact, my, I was prejudiced against her because, you know, the typical sort of prejudice against St. Therese, sweet little French girl who looks up in the stars and sees her name inscribed there next to her papa and all this stuff. And um, so I was sort of put off by her because of the sentimentality but that night I spent uh, in the Hermitage, the pilgrimage house, next to the Lisieux, the, the Carmel, where she was a nun. And um, in the middle of the night, I woke up, and in my room there was a, a beautiful feminine presence. Oh. I, and I, I felt that it was her. Um, it was just a benevolent presence, and I, I felt that she was there, and she was praying for me. So the next day, when I was on the road hitchhiking, uh, I got a, I had got a copy of her story of a soul and began to read it, and I can remember um, praying and saying, Therese, even though I am not yet a member of your family, uh, you pray for priests. I I hope you'll pray for me. And I'm, I feel that uh, it has been her prayers which have brought me to this point. I'm fond of being a Catholic priest, even though I'm married. Wow. That just gave me the chills. What a beautiful, beautiful story. We're talking with Father Dwight Longenecker there and back again, a somewhat religious odyssey. And it's just, a, the, I love the cover and the, the sketches on the cover and, and the images of the church and England and a little sheep. It's just, it's just very, very quaint and really kind of culminizes your, brings together your whole story and your journey. And I love the fact that they have you, an image of you looking at Pope St. John Paul II. So we only have a few minutes left, Father Dwight, and in terms of where we are now in our culture, with all of your background and all of your studies and understanding, and now as a, as a Catholic pastor at a very active parish in South Carolina, where do you see us going in terms of witnessing in the world in which we're living? What do you think is most important for me? I forget to whom I was just speaking about this. I believe one-on-one -on -one witness in turning people to Christ in the church is at the end of the day the most important thing. So what are you seeing well, as someone who's on the front lines? One of my most recent books is called Beheading Hydra, a radical plan for Christians in an atheistic age. And an awful lot of people are disturbed and confused and bewildered by what's going on in the world and in the church today. And in that book, I try to outline some of the reasons for this, and then also outline in the second half of the book what we need to do. And what we need to do is just get back to basics. Um, don't worry so much about what's going on or worry so much about what's going on in the wider world or what the gossip you're reading on social media. Instead, focus on your prayers, focus on your local community, focus on your family, uh, focus on your relationship with the Lord, and, and uh, change the world 
by doing what you can with what you have where you are. And when we do that and we get local and we get real, um, a lot of the worries and a lot of concerns we have will soon disappear. Amen. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for this book. Thank you for sharing your journey there and back again, a somewhat religious odyssey. And wishing you a beautiful Queenship of Mary Day. Our guest has been Father Dwight Longenecker. He is a pastor of a beautiful parish in Greenville, North Carolina. And his latest book, of course, published by our friends at Ignatius Press, there and back again, a somewhat religious odyssey. Fascinating story. And just so interesting the journey as the Lord takes us on quite often. And we think we're done. We think we're settled. We think everything is hunky-dory and we're just going to live our lives the way we want and the way we've dreamed. And then God bursts in and says, wait, I have a bigger and better plan. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a new future. And sometimes a very different one, but a much better one. We'll be right back. It is 36 minutes past the hour. Thanks for tuning in to the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Thirty-nine minutes past the hour on a Tuesday, August twenty-second, the Queenship of Mary. Thanks for listening to the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. This show is co-produced by Ave Maria Radio and EWTN. Find us online, AveMariaRadio.net and EWTN.com. And don't forget, every program is archived. And my wonderful producer Andrew will post these interviews up on our website at AveMariaRadio.net. Just hit the archive section and click on the show in which you're interested. And you can go back and listen to the interviews, including the interview we're about to do with Grace Stark, editor of Natural Womanhood, naturalwomanhood.org. And this is such an important story. Right now, it's back to school time. Not only are parents shopping for school items, but many young people already back at college, getting ready to start, have already begun to uh, enter into their classes. Next week, a lot of uh, grade schools and high schools are going back, or maybe after Labor Day. And there is this push and this is what we're talking about today with natural womanhood for doctors during the back to school time to pressure middle school, high school and college bound children to get birth control. So Grace Emily, how big of an issue is this? Is this worse than it was over, pre- over previous years? Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Teresa. Um, I think that you, we can safely say that the push is getting stronger than ever. And a lot of that, of course, has to do with the Dobbs decision on uh, Roe v. Wade. Um, in particular, we're seeing news outlets like NPR just last week um, posted kind of a glowing article um, about how uh, young women are being proactive, young women in particular that are headed to state, that are college-bound um, for colleges and states where there are now abortion bans, um, it's being kind of heralded as this this uh, responsible thing for young women to go do, a responsible thing for, for parents to be encouraging their young girls to go do before they go off to college. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm seeing a much bigger push for this, especially in the back-to-school kind of um, season that we're in right now than, than I can remember seeing in recent years, for sure. So how should we respond to that as concerned parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles? Yeah, so the concern comes from a good place, right? We want to make sure that our girls are healthy. Um, You know, part of going back to school is going for a back-to-school checkup, right? Kids need, um, if we're not even talking about college-bound kids, we're talking about middle school kids, high school kids. They usually need an athletic physical at the beginning of the year, um, and we check those boxes off as parents to make sure our kids are taken care of. 
But unfortunately, we're seeing that even in pediatricians' offices for girls as young as 11 and 12, this push from doctors to, to get these girls on birth control. Um, and they kind of prey on, on parents uh, not really understanding, being concerned about their girls, but not really understanding how to protect their girls in, in the right way. Um, and that's something that we've been really focused on at Natural Womanhood over the last um, year, really, in our Mothers of Preteens program that we've developed is, hey, we recognize that moms want their girls to know about their bodies. They want, we want them to understand their fertility, their periods, all of that. Um, but a lot of us are really uncomfortable talking about those things with our daughters, especially preteen, uh, teen girls, maybe because we had really rough experiences with our first periods with, with puberty as teens. We're still working through those things. Um, and so, a lot of times it's just easier to maybe feed it to the doctor to, to talk to our girls about that. But we know that's going to end up with them on birth control um, and everything that comes along with that. Well, see, this is what's so, I think it's very insulting and demeaning that this is the only answer that the medical community has. I mean, the media are all about, you know, talking about radical feminism and feminism and whatnot. And yet, why is this, is this the only answer for women and girls? I mean, it isn't anymore because we have a great program at Natural Womanhood. Um, that was that was why we developed the program that we did, our Mothers of Preteens program. It's a 10-week program um, that girls and moms can do together because we recognize at Natural Womanhood that parents are the primary educators of their children, especially around these sensitive, intimate topics. And so understanding that a lot of moms are uncomfortable just kind of diving into these things with their girls and, and understanding that a lot of moms have had hard experiences themselves. We, we give moms the education, the tools that they need to um, go over these topics with their girls and really hopefully form a, a lasting trust and, and communication with their, with their daughters so that their girls will come to them, um, know that they can speak openly about these issues that, you know, are really loom really large in, in teens', teens everyday lives, relationships, and um, the different changes their bodies are going through. And when girls don't know about these things and when they don't feel like they can go to their mom, you know, we see them having this really deep sense of shame around their fertility, around their periods, and then, you know, kind of what we're seeing with the transgender movement, this just this feeling like maybe I don't want to be a girl, maybe because I don't like this because I'm so uncomfortable. I'm not actually a girl. And so we want to head that off at the past by empowering moms. Um, and so our program does that. Um, and we're really proud of it. And we've had such awesome feedback, Teresa. So we even have a great testimony from uh, Jason Ebert up on the site. Oh, great. Um, yeah. So we're, we're really proud of it. We're really excited about the things that we're hearing moms saying like, wow, I'm enjoying this this mindset shift that I'm experiencing, feeling empowered about my body and being able to talk to my daughter about it this way um, is, is so powerful and, and such an exciting thing that, that we're just thrilled to be able to offer as an alternative to, oh, we'll just put you on birth control and never talk about it. Right. right? And what's so beautiful, this is so easy to access. It's right there on the homepage of your website, naturalwomanhood.org. I'm looking at it right now. How do you teach your daughter about fertility, right? Yep. Yep, you can go to naturalwomanhood.org. There's a banner right on the front page. Click on that. It takes you to the landing page for our Mothers of Preteens program. Um, it's a 10-week program. Uh, you do it at your pace with your daughter. Um, it's fun. It's interactive. We have a fantastic team member at Natural Womanhood, Jackie Aguilar, who 
recorded um, a series of 10 different short, fun videos that really kind of get into the science of a, a girl's fertility. And it's, it's not a sex ed course. We're not talking about sexuality. We're not talking about contraception. It's not natural family planning for teens <laughs> because natural right. family planning is not for teens. Right. Um, it's really just to get girls to understand not only the science of their fertility, but understand the purpose. Like, why is my body going through this? Why am I getting hips? Why am I getting breasts? And we really focus in the program on these are all geared so that you can carry life one day and the wonderful gift that that is. Well, the, the, in addition to this, though, your our, your website, I think, is, is really great because it has so many medical issues that women and young women go through that in mm-hmm. the secular world of medicine, again, it's always just throw birth control at it, throw the pill at it. And yet you have yep. some very important articles about medical conditions that many young girls may suffer from, or especially when they're going through puberty, or women in their fertility years. So that's super important as well. Yeah, absolutely. And we spent some time talking about that in the Mothers of Preteens course. Like, here's, here's what a normal adolescent cycle looks like, right? And what a lot of people don't understand is that an adolescent cycle is pretty much by definition irregular. And so many young girls at 11, 12, 13, they have these irregular cycles and they have doctors telling them, oh, you know, here, we'll put you on the pill and that'll regulate it. Well, it won't do that. It'll take your cycle away. And you'll never know whether or not you had an irregular cycle that was due to normal adolescent, you know, it, it takes a while for our bodies to, to ramp up and to be able to reach kind of that full peak of fertility. Um, or it, the irregularity might have been due to an underlying issue like PCOS, endometriosis, which, you know, affect 10, up to 10% of the population of women and are a really big factor in infertility. Mm-hmm. And if they don't get that recognized and treated early on, actually treated, root cause treated, not band-aid treated with birth control, then by the time they get off of birth control and they're ready to have a baby, they might not be able to. And that's so heartbreaking. So, um, yeah, we talk about that a lot on the site. We talk about it in that Mother's Preteens program. Here's what a normal cycle looks like. Here's what a normal cycle, what an abnormal cycle, rather, look, might look like and how to get the right help, what kind of doctor to look for, what kind of, you know, advice you should be seeking if if you have real concerns about your daughter. Absolutely. Talking with Grace Emily Stark, editor of Natural Womanhood, terrific website, naturalwomanhood.org. So what do you think it is? Because you see this so often. I mean, the whole culture just seems to be just soaking in this pro-death, pro-abortion, pro-birth control mentality. And as Pope St. Paul um, VI said, in Humana Vitae, women are the suffering the most from all of this. He said this back in, oh gosh, you know, when that came out in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's, it's all just follow on from the fallout of the sexual revolution, right? It's all it's just kind of those regular talking points we, we hit on all the time because um, people still don't really seem to understand that it all stems back from the sexual revolution, from this idea that we can divorce um, sex from procreation, um, and we're trying, I said, you know, this, this program that we have is not a, a sex ed program, and that's true. We don't talk about sex or sexuality, but we understand that when we can get women to understand what their bodies, get young girls to understand what their their bodies are designed for, you know, it opens up this broader spectrum of who am I, who, what am I meant for, right? Because our fertility, especially as women, is such a huge part of, of what makes us women. And so getting girls to understand 
their dignity, to get them to understand their worth. And teaching them, you know, about their bodies is a really essential component of that, that that parents, frankly, need to just kind of buck up, stop passing the buck on that. It's such an important message, more so now than ever, um, that, you know, we, we are so happy to be able to accompany moms, especially in this journey, because we feel it's such an important part of writing the ship on the culture on yeah. so many different fronts. Well, even the article, the headline from the NPR article, it's just so typically biased and typically agenda-driven. I mean, just, just the headline. Mm-hmm. I, I see this as a media person. It just drives me nuts. Young women get mm-hmm. proactive before heading to states with abortion bans. So in other words, you know, they get proactive because they're going to take care of their bodies. My body, my choice. I'm going to get on birth yeah. control. I'm going to buy into all this narrative. Automatically assuming that, again, that this is the only option for women going into these backward states that have abortion bans. Yeah, and reading that article, and it's from a, from a, obviously from a radio segment, it's NPR, one of their All Things Considered segments. I didn't listen to it, I read the article based on it, and the way they describe, um, they actually go into like a high school campus uh, health, health clinic and describe a young woman speaking to the nurse or the nurse practitioner there. Um, and it's just, it's so demeaning because the, it's, it's held up as like this nurse practitioner is being so kind and so caring. Um, but it's so base level, the, the relationship she has with this patient who comes in and she says, oh, are you still, are you still speaking to the same guy? And the, there's a, something in, in uh, parenthetical aside that says, that's adolescent speak for ha- who, are, who are you having sex with? Um, you know, because that's how far we've demeaned sex, that we just equate it to just who are you talking to right now. Um, and she doesn't ask any more, any more probing questions of the girl other than, are you still talking to the same guy? Is he going to school with you? Okay, well, you know what? Let's put an explanation on in your arm. And then they describe how, oh, she plays calming music and, and then inserts it under her skin. And, um, you know, it's like, it, it, it's really grotesque yeah and it's meant to be this empowering kind of article but it just sounds like this poor young girl who no one cares to actually ask any real questions of like why have you been on and off again with this guy why is it on just because you're going to college together does that signal to you that maybe you're just kind of a convenient thing for this guy to have around do you think that maybe you deserve better um, there's nothing about that, nothing about communicating a young woman's worth to herself other than, you know, oh, let's protect you because we know you're just not going to be able to control yourself, especially with this guy around, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We, have, we have a line in, in, in some of our content for the Mothers of, of Preteens program where um, Jackie, uh, the woman who, who filmed the videos for us on our Natural Womanhood team, mentions, you know, gosh, the way we talk about adolescence is almost like we talk about the family pet. Like, we got to stay in new room because they can't control yeah, themselves. Exactly. That's how we protect them. And she makes the point, I don't think of my daughters that way. I want so much better for my daughters than that. I don't want them to think of themselves that way. Yeah. You know, it's such an excellent point. Um, and, yeah, there's just so much great content like that in, in our program that we're just so, so excited to offer to parents as, as an alternative to this pseudo empowerment that media like NPR wants to feed us. Yeah, NPR and so many other outlets. And yeah, I really also respect the work of Dr. Miriam Grossman, who was working at the college level and discovered much of what you've discovered. And she's spoken before Congress and she's not coming at this at a, a, you know, from a religious perspective either, just from a 
perspective of this isn't working, just throwing girls out there basically to the wolves through this whole birth control and culture of death mentality. Grace Emily, thanks so much. Check out the great work, Mother of Preteens, naturalwomanhood.org. We'll be right back. If you'd like to learn more about the importance of Mary, I have two chapters in my book, my Rosie book, Everything's Coming Up Rosie. The Blessed Mother is watching you and listen to your mother. And listen to us all day long and tomorrow. Ciao, ciao. See you on a Wednesday. Adomani. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E Maria Radio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.